The Water Values Podcast, Session 37. Welcome to the Water Values Podcast. This is the podcast dedicated to water utilities, resources, treatment, reuse, and all things. Now here's your host, Dave McGimson. Hello and welcome to another session of the Water Values Podcast. As Joey said, I'm Dave McGimsey. Thanks for joining me. Well, this episode is being released on Veterans Day in the U.S. Please keep our veterans in your thoughts today and thank them for their service to this beautiful country. So if you're wondering how I made it through last week with double booked hearings, I got a reprieve. It turns out the case I thought would never get settled had its hearing vacated to allow the parties to further discuss settlement. Time will tell on that one, but my other hearing ran its full course on Monday through Wednesday. Um, Every hearing has its funny moments, but the funniest moment from this one even caused the chairman of the commission to laugh pretty heartily. It was a solar energy hearing, and while the cold hard record doesn't do it justice after I've reviewed the transcript, uh, it involved certain consumers uh, who it was argued would be thankful that a certain proposed solar product would be offered in a market that previously had no solar offerings. And and the uh, the questioning attorney then compared <laughs> those consumers with consumers of toilet paper in the Soviet Union who were simply happy to have toilet paper being provided in the market. Uh, it was absolutely hysterical, and uh, I wish it was captured on video and, and audio so it could be circulated around the Internet because it, it certainly was absolutely hilarious. But um, on to today's show, Bob Iacullo, an executive vice president at United Water, joins us today. Uh, like my interview with Lisa Sparrow of Utilities, Inc. last week, my interview with Bob was recorded at the National Association of Water Companies Water Summit a few weeks ago. We'll take a deep dive into P3 or 3P agreements, whatever nomenclature you prefer, uh, and Bob will give us his experience on a unique P3 agreement that United entered into in Bayonne, New Jersey, and we'll talk about different models for P3 agreements, including terms, incentives, and some other aspects. There's a lot of private capital looking to get into the water industry, and a lot of it will likely come through P3s. So listen up to see how it might happen. With that said, let's get on with it. Open the valves, fasten your seatbelts, and here we go. Sure, Dave, and thank you for giving me the opportunity. Uh, my name is Bob Iacullo. I'm the Executive Vice President for United Water. I've been with United Water for almost 35 years now. I actually started uh, my uh, career in the water industry. Uh, I worked for the New Jersey Board of Public Utilities for about three and a half years, and I worked on some water cases, and then had an opportunity to go to what was then called the Hackensack Water Company, which was the founding company for United Water. United Water has been in business since 1869. So I've been fortunate enough to uh, grow in the business and have seen United Water grow from being a regional company with operations just in northern New Jersey and southern New York to now where we have operations in 21 states uh, across the country. And we not only own utilities, but we also uh, operate water and wastewater utilities for municipal clients. Because 
think two agreements are much more prevalent because the transportation industry has the collection process for the water industry. So there's, there's a wider adoption of this industry. Yeah, I would agree with that, Dave. But uh, as it stands now, about 2,000 uh, cities and towns across the United States uh, have some form of P3 uh, with, with water operations. But a little history, uh, if you looked at it, and, and a lot of it has to do with the demographics of the water industry itself, where in the United States, 85% of the population receives their water from a municipal type uh, water system, and on the wastewater side, it's 95%. So for United Water, when we looked at well, where is the growth gonna be uh, for us and the opportunities to continue to expand our footprint in the United States, we saw that it would be on the municipal side, helping them operate and maintain their water wastewater systems. Uh, so we got into uh, P3s back probably in the uh, mid-1990s uh, with some large operations like operating the water system for the city of Atlanta, the wastewater system for the city of Milwaukee. Uh, and those were what I would say were straight operation and maintenance type contracts where they were long-term contracts, 20 years, which were allowed by the IRS uh, in terms of being a qualified management uh, contract. Uh, but they just provided that you would operate and maintain either the entire system or you might just operate and maintain a specific uh, water, wastewater treatment facility. Well, uh, they'll only allow a, a qualified uh, management contract to go out for 20 years. If you go beyond the 20 years, uh, they look at it very differently, and it could cause an issue with the municipality, particularly if they have tax-exempt debt. They may have to do something which is called the fees to debt, which could be very costly for them, uh, particularly in this low-interest-rate environment. And there are some remedial actions that you could take, but it's one of the things that uh, at least our company and others in the water industry are trying to promote is to take another look at these qualified management contracts to either go beyond 30 years or provide for different remedial actions so a municipality wouldn't have to go through that process of having to defease uh, or retire their tax-exempt debt. Uh, in, in particular, if you looked at United Water and the way we're structured, I would say uh, we're structured to meet the needs of the entire U.S. water industry. And with United Water and its affiliates, that means providing anything from water, wastewater, uh, treatment equipment, uh, to do and design, build, operate opportunities, and then getting into O&M contracts and long-term leasing and also full ownership. Uh, and if we focus maybe on the long-term leasing, I could give an example where uh, trying to go beyond the 20 years is, is really important. Yeah, let's, I'd love to hear that. Well, in uh, 2012, uh, the city of Bayonne, New Jersey, went out for procurement. Uh, Bayonne is a town with a population of about 63,000 people. It's situated on a peninsula that's uh, west of New York City and east of uh, Newark, New Jersey. And they had decided to go out because they needed to do something with their water and wastewater systems. Uh, they hadn't in, made any significant investments in those systems in decades. Uh, their municipal utilities authority was highly leveraged. Uh, they had credit uh, quality problems and they needed to attract experienced uh, and qualified personnel to run their systems, which they had trouble doing. 
So they went out for procurement with specific objectives. They wanted to improve their customer service, improve the condition of their assets, look for rate stability, and also try and maintain jobs for their municipal utility employees. United Water and others uh, submitted uh, uh, responses to that request for proposals. And our response that we submitted was a, a solution that we felt would meet their needs. As a matter of fact, the model that we put together is termed solution. It's branded uh, with a tagline, investing in America's future. And here's where the difference comes in between a straight operation and maintenance contract and this type of contract, which is actually uh, called a concession contract. So this contract is a 40-year contract. Uh, it involved uh, Colbert, Kravis, Roberts, or KKR, and United Water forming a joint venture uh, to provide the financing mechanisms for uh, the utility systems for uh, the city of Bayonne. So the city of Bayonne, uh, what we offered them was an upfront payment of $150 million, and that we would also invest in their system, uh, in their infrastructure, over the 40-year period, uh, over $100 million, roughly $2.5 million a year, but we would also do uh, some upfront capital investments, particularly in terms of upgrading their meter reading system. And that's something, you know, with a 40-year contract you can do because of trying to amortize the investments that you make as opposed to a 20-year contract, which is much shorter in duration and really limits the ability to make capital investments. So this worked out very well for the city of Bayonne, uh, within three months of signing the agreement, Standard & Poor's uh, raised their credit outlook uh, from negative to neutral, and that was the first time their credit outlook had been raised in, in, in a long period of years. And uh, so far, you know, two years into the contract, it's been working uh, very well. Oh, no, it'll, it'll impact the entire uh, city of Bayonne. So that means for future borrowings, it should be less costly because the interest rates, uh, all things being equal, will be, le will be less for them. So a, just a, a water wastewater issue um, has essentially, you know, by, by entering into this DQ agreement with the JV between United and KKR, um, you've been able to save the city money on other aspects of its finance. That, that is a, I, I think that's a very unique uh, angle to take. Um, another thing I wanted to, to note was I, I really like the 40-year uh, agreement as contrasted with the 20, just because you know, typically, at least for rate-making purposes, that seems to match the depreciation that, uh, rate, uh, that the, the utility regulators are well, One thing I would note, too, Dave, in, in New Jersey in particular, uh, there is uh, regulatory approvals that, we need for these type of agreements. Uh, back in the uh, uh, late 90s, uh, I believe it was, uh, some bills were passed to set up a procedure uh, for approvals by the New Jersey Board of Public Utilities, the Department of Community Affairs, and the Department of Environmental Protection. So they do review these contracts uh, to make sure they're, they're balanced and fair, uh, particularly to the, the residents of those towns. Or is it, or are there provisions in the 
Well, it's it's again more of a review to make sure that it's 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 a balanced and fair contract. Uh, the reviews are uh, done fairly in a in a fairly short period of time. Uh, but again, it's just to ensure that it's it's going to be a good contract overall. But I would say, particularly for contract uh, Bayonne and in even the more recent O and M's. Uh, these towns are, are getting very sophisticated. They're bringing in advisors, attorneys, of course. Uh, so it's not as if they're, they're going into these deals with their eyes closed, uh, but uh, very, very sophisticated. And the industry itself has matured in terms of trying to make sure that the, the terms and conditions are balanced for both uh, the town as well as the private operator. Well, presumably at the end of the 40-year period, uh, our hope and our expectation will be that the, the city of Bayonne would go out for a renewal of that type of an agreement. Uh, but at the end of the 40-year the contract, uh, the assets are still owned by the municipality. And again, that's one of the big advantages of these type of, of an agreements is the ownership of the facility never transfers. And and particularly in water, we see this maybe a little more than wastewater, uh, a significant reluctance to actually sell their assets. Uh, but here, in this instance, they control it. And I should mention another interesting aspect of, of this, the, the Bayonne deal, was too, is the rate increases over the 40-year period are laid out. There's some that are related to inflation as well as some fixed percentages. So the town people know what, what they're faced with over the 40-year the period. And I give a lot of credit to uh, the former mayor of Bayonne who signed the contract, Mark Smith, for realizing that something needed to be done with their facilities to ensure uh, their sustainability uh, in, into the future. Yeah, there, there are automatic rate increases uh, for uh, the Bayonne uh, uh, agreement. It's uh, roughly 70% of the increase is uh, fixed and 30% is related to uh, whatever the rate of inflation would be uh, based on CPI. And then there could be some adjustments if uh, we need to invest more money than what was anticipated uh, when the uh, financial modeling was done. Uh, there is a mechanism to allow for an increase that might be in excess of what's already provided for. Likewise, if we were to see uh, greater growth in the city of Bayonne than what was anticipated, that may cause rates actually to, to go down because we would be then collecting more revenue. Well, uh, yeah, I'm not sure that there's ones that track utility expenses particularly, but what we like to look at, too, is uh, not always straight CPI on all the operating expenses, but in particular labor expenses and relating them more to uh, a labor inflation index. Uh, and then all the other expenses may be related to CPI. And again, sometimes these are vary where it, it may not be 100% 
of CPI. It may be 75% of CPI uh, for that period. Okay. Usually with, a, with an O&M agreement, uh, the revenues will still be collected by the municipality. Uh, we may perform customer service related functions under an O&M type agreement, but the revenues will still be uh, in effect owned by the municipality. And they're paying the private operator, United Water, a fee for operating and maintaining their system. With a concession type agreement, it's almost as if the private operator owns the system because we collect all the revenues, we pay all the expenses, so the municipality is no longer paying us a fee uh, to be involved. Our fee is, in effect, coming out of the revenues minus the expenses, whatever it costs us to operate it. It also gives the ability on a concession-type agreement, again, because of the longer-term nature, to, to make investments, capital investments, into the system that you otherwise wouldn't do under shorter-term type agreements. But an O&M agreement and a concession, that some of, those, some of them provide the same type of benefits, such as uh, increased efficiencies and reductions in operating costs, uh, better water quality or uh, environmental aspects. So some of the benefits are the same, but I would say when you get into the realm of a concession-type agreement because of the longer-term nature, there's where you get the capital investment, there's where you get the more rate predictability and stability uh, as well. Well, again, it, it, it really is based on the, the, the needs of the particular town and what it's looking to achieve. Uh, that's where, again, at United Water, we offer various uh, the alternatives to a municipality depending on what its goals and objectives and its needs are. So if in, in the Bayonne situation where their need was one of we need to invest in, in our infrastructure and we can't do it based on our current financial uh, condition, and so forth, and bringing in the qualified operators, they determined that a concession-type uh, agreement was the best for them. Others may look at it and say, well, we can, we can manage the investment on our own. An example might be uh, currently, we, and we've been operating uh, the wastewater system for the, uh, had been the city of Indianapolis uh, since uh, the, the mid-90s. Now that system was transferred over to uh, citizens energy group but we still operate and maintain the wastewater system for them but they're making all the capital investments uh, in that system not United Water. Sure and that particular agreement is very interesting because that the stormwater is it's a, it's a CSO community and but the city is maintaining right. stormwater uh, responsibility. Can you talk a little about that's got to be a complex relationship how does that work? Uh, well, no, the, I, I'd say actually the relationship, yeah, the stormwater is still operated by the city. So, I mean, that's more of a, a relationship between uh, the city then and Citizens Energy Group. But again, being the, the city had formerly been our client, we have good relationships with them. 
Uh, Citizens Energy, I believe, has a high regard for us as an operator. Wastewater systems are complicated uh, systems to operate, and I think they respect United Water's ability to, to do that very professionally and, and uh, at a high level of performance. Uh, well, they, they really don't. Uh, in New Jersey, as I mentioned, there's a initial approval process, but once uh, they, they approve of that particular agreement, there is no longer any uh, continuing jurisdiction over the P3. At that point, it's really up to the mayor, the city council, in effect, to be uh, regulating uh, all aspects of it. And a lot of these P3s, too, include performance metrics and so forth, so a municipality can track the company's performance. And, and in most cases, you're guaranteeing some level of performance. Uh, other states that, that we operate in, uh, they don't have a, a regulatory approval process like New Jersey's. New Jersey is definitely more robust than other states. Uh, incentives uh, may come into play. The, the, the contract uh, that we have uh, with, uh, in, in Indianapolis to operate their uh, water and wastewater system, that did include uh, incentives for us to achieve based on performance levels, and uh, we've done very well out there achieving the, the, the targeted incentives. Others may just be, uh, again, if it's an operation and maintenance contract, that they're just paying us a straight fee to operate it and it may not have any incentives associated with it or the concession type agreement, the incentive there could be that if you can operate it uh, even uh, less costly than you might have thought to begin with, you know, you'll have the ability to earn a better margin. A typical one may be where the town, uh, they, they decide that they need to do something and they'll issue a, a request for proposals and then give the uh, public uh, an opportunity to respond to them. Now, they may have certain uh, conditions and qualifications. Some actually may go out for a statement of qualifications first that says you need to have this level of experience operating a certain size water or wastewater treatment facility. And based on that, that would kind of limit the playing field as to who could be qualified to, to actually operate. And then once they deem you to be qualified, then you would have the ability to submit a proposal based on usually what they're saying the scope of operations ought to be in terms of, again, do they want you just to operate a specific water treatment facility or do they want you to operate the entire uh, system, distribution system, treatment facilities, uh, provide customer service uh, related ac uh, activities as well. So they, they may ask for that type of proposal. The proposals get submitted and they'll have some kind of ranking uh, criteria and you know I'm simplifying the process to, to a large degree uh, but then even once a contract is awarded then there's still another ability to do uh, uh, another round of due diligence before you're actually uh, signing a contract. And during this time period, too, you're going through contract terms and conditions and so forth, making sure that there is a, a balance between the risks that are being assumed by the party that could best manage them, uh, whoever that may be. Some, some risks are better managed by the municipality. Some risks are going to be better managed by the private operator.
Well, uh, in this case, uh, KKR, Colbert, uh, Travis, Roberts may have approached us at some point in time, you know, talking about different uh, opportunities and uh, being available to work with United Water. Uh, and then when this model was developed, uh, in fact, we, we brought in KKR and uh, created the joint venture. Uh, and it's worked. Uh, it worked very well. Uh, there, from what I understand, and going to different conferences and meetings, there seems to be a lot of private equity out there these days, uh, where uh, these uh, equity firms want to put their money to work and are willing to uh, participate in these type of activities uh, because of the lower risk profile that a, a water or wastewater operation would have, let's say, versus a transportation project, a toll road, where, as we know, once uh, tolls start increasing, people would find, you know, alternatives to that toll road. You don't see the same significant impact uh, when water rates increase. Uh, people tend to use still the same amount. You may see a little drop-off, but then after a period of time, it recovers. So the risk profile uh, seems to be fitting well with uh, a lot of these uh, private equity firms at this point in time. Well, there's some things underway right now at the, uh, the federal level. Uh, President Obama had signed a uh, presidential memorandum uh, this past summer, and as part of that memorandum, uh, he wanted the secretaries of his various departments to look at ways of uh, either removing obstacles or trying to uh, be innovative in attracting more private participation to deal with the nation's infrastructure issues, and, and not only in water, but as well as transportation in, in other areas. And so already, uh, the Department of Transportation and the Department of uh, Transportation and uh, Treasury, excuse me, had already organized and hosted what they called an infrastructure summit uh, that was held uh, in Washington, and uh, folks were invited, United Water was invited to that meeting, and there was discussions on what could be done. And as a matter of fact, uh, at least two of the panels highlighted the Bayonne model in terms of what, what in fact, can be done. But again, so uh, the, the Obama administration is looking, acknowledging the fact that there's, you know, the, the likelihood of federal grants and federal handouts is, is very slim. So how can uh, we best attract more dollars flowing in? to meet the significant infrastructure needs that we have over the next 20 uh, to, to 30 years. So that's already ongoing, uh, and that's a way of, of promoting P3s, more interest in P3s. Uh, they, the president also signed into law the Water Reform and uh, Resources Development Act, uh, which included uh, water infrastructure in financing uh, 
Innovation Act uh, as well, which is kind of structured off what they had in the transportation area, TIFIA, that's worked very well. The EPA is going through now uh, trying to uh, bring that program together. Uh, appropriations haven't been made yet, but a, a key part of that is, again, trying to look at projects where you'd have an array of financings, so not just, uh, let's say, uh, government loans, because that would still be part of it, the loans from the federal government, uh, but also attracting private equity to participate in, in these uh, uh, infrastructure needs and, in fact, again, creating uh, more P3s. And then also our trade association, National Association of Water Companies, has been out there out front in terms of uh, talking to different congressional leaders about some of the obstacles that we see that may prohibit uh, the P3s that we spoke about uh, earlier. Well, again, if uh, it, from my perspective and our company's perspective, I think it takes, uh, you know, some of these wins uh, that we've seen now, like a Bayonne, and how, uh, how that's benefited the citizens of that town and what it's meant to them. As I mentioned, we, there's, there's another one that uh, we're going to be uh, starting in the beginning of uh, next year. Uh, it's Middletown, Pennsylvania, a smaller community than Bayonne. And this one's a 50-year contract. So as you can see, there's starting to be more interest in these type of uh, arrangements, uh, whether they be the long-term concession, because Middletown will be a concession, or the O&M. Uh, we're also in, in January of next year. We'll begin to operate the, water, uh, the wastewater system, excuse me, for Nassau County, New York. And I will tell you in that one, the, the environmental groups we're very much behind a private operator coming in to bring that professionalism, that know-how, that experience, the innovations, the technologies uh, that a private operator can do as opposed to uh, a municipality. So I think you know a lot of the burden, I'd say, is on the private operators to show that these work, but it also is going to take the elected officials, the mayors, to talk about the benefits. And fortunately, at the uh, National Association of Water Companies uh, Summit, that, that, that I'm attending right now, uh, former mayor of Bayonne, Mark Smith, uh, was on a panel and talked about, you know, why he did it and also the benefits that he saw that this type of an agreement brought to his town. Terrific. Great perspective on that. And, and I just want to thank you very much, Bob, for coming out here and uh, being, you know, taking time out of your day to be on, interviewed and uh, really appreciate it. Before we go, though, could you tell folks who'd like to find out a little Sure, you can go to our website, which is uh, unitedwater.com, or you can follow us on, on Facebook. Awesome. Well, thanks very much, Bob. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Dave. Well, I hope you enjoyed that interview with Bob Iaculo. He was fantastic and shared a great deal of knowledge about 3P agreements. Here are my takeaways. First, P3 or 3P agreements, again, whatever nomenclature you prefer, uh, they provide a lot of flexibility and avenues for capital to come into the market. They can be structured in a variety of ways, um, and they can help achieve a number of different goals and desires of whatever public entity is contracting uh, as part of the P3 agreement. 
One important thing I'd note is that I'm a big believer in the partnership model that P3s offer, but just as good fences make good neighbors, oversight and checks and balances will help make the P3 agreement successful. You can't just put it in a black box and, and say that the, the P3 partner is going to uh, take it over and provide it like a turnkey operation. I, I think that that is, in, in most circumstances, is not going to be successful. Another takeaway uh, is the procurement process for P3 agreements itself. Um, each state's going to be a little different, but generally governments have some measure of flexibility in how they design their procurement process. The important thing is to communicate. Communicate with potential bidders, communicate within the administration and with other stakeholders, such as your city councilors, residents, and customers. In order to lay a good foundation for a P3, you really need that buy-in from all the stakeholders, and communication is the touchstone of that. Finally, we talked about WIFIA on this podcast previously, and Bob spontaneously brought it up uh, in the context of the Water Resources Reform and Development Act, of which WIFIA is a component. So it's good to see that the industry is trying to find ways to use the tools Congress has provided to solve some of the nation's water infrastructure issues. Well, you can check out the show notes for this session at thewatervalues.com forward slash pod 37. Leave a comment on the show notes or email me at david at thewatervalues.com. You can also tweet at me at DTM1993, and you can tweet about the podcast using the hashtag watervalues. And don't forget to rate and please review the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and other podcast directories. And don't forget to tell your friends and colleagues about the podcast and sign up for the Water Values newsletter, all of which can be done at thewatervalues.com. In closing, please remember to keep the core message of the Water Values podcast in mind as you go about your daily business. Water is our most valuable resource, so please join me by going out into the world and acting like it. listening to the Water Values Podcast. Thank you for spending some of your day with my dad and me. Thank you for tuning into the disclaimer. I'm a lawyer licensed in Colorado and Indiana, and this podcast does not establish an attorney-client relationship with you or anyone else. And information in this podcast should not be considered legal advice. Further, this podcast is not a solicitation for professional employment. I'm just a lawyer who finds water issues interesting and who believes greater public education about water issues is necessary. And that includes enhancing my own education about water issues because no one knows everything about water. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next week.